Hey, hey, yep. one, two, three. There we go. I am definitely no tech people, tech person people. Hello, hello. This is Virginia. Oh, and Pat. Hey, Pat, what's going on? Just hanging out. Just hanging out. Guys, welcome to Coffee Plus, a podcast uh, about candid conversations of the mind, body, and spirit, and just shooting the shit. So thank you all for tuning in. This is part two with Pat Gillen, and we're excited to continue because I felt like our first one was so juicy and deep and chock full of nuggets that uh, I felt like we needed to reconvene on this. Yeah, we have a lot to talk about, huh? For sure, for sure. So quick background about me, guys. Um, I uh, This podcast idea actually started when I was talking to a colleague of mine about how the pandemic had created this sort of vacuum space. And we talked about all the things of the mind and body spirit that helped us up level from a very uh, kind of hard situation, you know, and to start this and sharing our ideas of um, how people can benefit, we thought, well, man, podcasts might be the way to go. So here we are. Uh, my background is in uh, yoga. I used to have a strength and conditioning yoga studio called Prana Vibe. Now I do a side hustle of making homemade small batch soy candles called Bougie Boondock. And I am steering more towards sexy time candles to get our sensual, sexual, uh, sultry vibes on. Pat, you want to give a quick intro? Yeah, um, so my background, I guess I'll start with that, is uh, I'm a geospatial engineer by trade, uh, game developer, because I decided I wanted something new, and rock climbing instructor by night, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, a little bit about me, that would be it, I guess. That's uh, a good point to start, yeah? Yeah. We talked a little bit about you in the last episode, or part one. I uh, would love to go into, you were telling me off, off, um, before offline about your grandmother and also the environment you grew up in and how that molded and shaped, uh, your path. Yeah. So, uh, I was born in Peru, uh, during a time where there was a political instability, uh, and that made it so my grandma actually had to take care of me. Uh, my mom ended up in Argentina for her safety. My dad was in the uh, Peruvian uh, military helping uh, um, the government just kind of find drugs and stuff in the Amazon. Um, and they were very young. So uh, I went off to live with grandma. Um, during that time, that's probably the safest thing that my parents did for me. Um, lived in a gated community, uh, which consisted of uh, huge walls uh, and armed guards at the entrance, uh, very similar to a military base, to be perfectly honest. And uh, every night or so, uh, we would hear or feel earthquakes-related stuff. Uh, I think uh, that's kind of important because uh, that was the state as a four or five-year-old. So some of my first memories is waking up and feeling like the house shake. Um, I thought it was an earthquake. Uh, I was told it was an earthquake by my mom, uh, my, my grandma, who I called mom at that point, uh, or mama Chavi. 
that's her last, uh, that's her first name, Isabel, and I just called her Chavi. I don't know why. Um, but, uh, uh, she told me it was earthquakes. In reality, it was people blowing up infrastructure behind, uh, the house. Um, so, uh, kind of protected my innocence as a child. And I say innocence because, like, innocence can be a lot of different things. It doesn't just have to be, like, in a sexual nature, but more of, like, a sheltering kind of thing. Um, Recently, I've noticed that a lot with uh, with kids uh, that come into the rock climbing gym, right? Uh, why parents explain why they have to wear a mask? You know, uh, I see little kids now coming in with with a uh, with a mask, uh, and it they're, they're cool masks. You know, they have like uh, Nickelodeon like cartoon characters and different things, and like. They're very adamant about everybody wearing a mask, and I think that's a very interesting uh, cultural shift about uh, protection, you know, for the youth. Uh, another thing that I did in my past was uh, I was involved with a company that did security for schools uh, to prevent school shootings. Um, and again, uh, how do we how do we protect uh, kids in now in today's day? And Oh man, we're gonna regret that real quick. <laughs> no, it's okay. We have Rizzo, her service dog here. Yeah, joining the podcast. Hi, yeah. Rizzo. <laughs> that is a big squeaker. You might have to find him a different ball. On that okay, one. you want to substitute yeah. it for yeah. a different one? Yeah, let me see if I can change. You want to get that one? Uh, no, that's okay. Just go ahead and grab that other ball while Rizzo chows down on this yeah. one. Let's see if I can coax him with some treats. Just steal it when I over. There he is. There he goes. Go ahead and steal it. Virginia, steal the ball. Steal the ball, Virginia. Oh. <laughs> I, I kind of hear you whispering. Okay, got it. Yeah. It's hidden. <laughs> Hi, Rizzo. <laughs> so we have successfully hidden the ball. <laughs> Okay, so you were saying? Yeah, uh, I think uh, cultural shift has been to always protect the youth uh, uh, psyche, I guess. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know if you had uh, growing up like a situation where you should have been more scared as a child, but your parents or your grandparents said something that was that made it not scary but now looking back like you're like oh man like we were in a crappy situation you know just speaking on that um i grew up uh almost alone a lot um both my parents were working and super illegal i get it but i didn't get it as a child and i remember that um my mother one time let me left me at home because my father was working um, for two hours or three hours away and uh, my mother didn't have a babysitter and I must have been very very young because I remember one particular night I was home alone the lights were out because the power went out okay. it was thunderstorming I remember I had to have been so small because I my head barely came over the windowsill yeah standing so I must have been like maybe three maybe four at best. Oh, that's really young. Super young. I was home alone. I remember I eventually was so scared that I went to a neighbor's house. 
But I was three or four years old, and so I didn't know, like, hey, to call my mom to tell her who I was. She found me, but she scolded me. um, For leaving the house. For leaving the house. Uh, I just, it's weird because I've I've learned to be alone a lot, but at the same time, I associate um, pretty traumatic things with being alone. Yeah. So as an adult, I noticed that some some things will trigger that deep-seated sense of insecurity and sense of abandonment um but you know it's it's something i am conscious to uh and then i inspect that or i um study and investigate it when uh when uh when i am conscious to it so let's bring our conversation back to your grandmother um and being raised by her you said that she helped the community yeah um so she at that time, um, let's see how uh, how to frame this. Um, so they lived in a gated community. The gated community was fairly new. Uh, the house that my grandma um, had in Peru was one of the first ones in that gated community. Mm-hmm. So she was like a founder of that gated community. Um, there was farmland in there. There was a bunch of stuff, like enough stuff to keep you alive. And when I say like, it's like a base, it was like a base. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that my grandma brought to the table was her farming experience. Mm. So she had grown up in a farm, uh, which uh, she actually gave me in her inheritance. Uh, so it's an avocado farm in Peru. And one of the things that she learned is how to grow things, uh, you know, and uh, raise uh, chickens and do all those things that uh, you learn on a farm that doesn't seem like a... Uh, one of those skills that is like white collar or high tech or any of that stuff that is extremely uh, helpful, especially when, uh, you know, going to the grocery store could mean you getting shot. Uh, so she helped the community members uh, kind of build their own little uh, gardens to grow food. Uh, she also helped people raise their own chickens so that he could have eggs. And... Um, Specifically, our next-door neighbor was a new mom. Um, She helped her just kind of cope with life. Uh, So, uh, in large part, my grandma, in in a time where people were actively uh, in need of someone to know those things, those skills, very similarly to what's what's happened in the last couple of years where, like, we run out of certain resources, uh, she was well-prepared. way in advance uh, to deal with those those events because of her past life. And I think that's kind of interesting because uh, uh, one of the things that draws me about you is that you do a lot of uh, prepping, not like in the creepy preppy way, but like uh, of like the apocalypse is coming and like <laughs> we're going to go and hunker down in a basement, but like actual like functional prepping uh, where uh, you actually know what to do like in a medical situation uh, or can do things outside of the ordinary that would help us prevail in case like all of a sudden the the grid went down you know i love that you brought up prepping and functional prepping versus doomsday prepping uh i don't know if i would ever get to that level where i have hundreds and hundreds of canned goods that will last me two years a bomb bunker uh those masks that are like straight yeah. up industrial gas mask, gas mask. 
Uh, I'm not there yet. Uh, I am working on surface level as in terms of like acute threats, CQB, which is close quarter um, battle, and uh, just, you know, really frontline stuff. Yeah. I decided at some point uh, very recently that I didn't want to run. I, wouldn't, I wanted to face the threat. Be it uh, two-legged, four-legged, you know, the ones without a pulse, A-E, I-E, zombies. But uh, my point is, if, if and when resources become scarce, um, our enemies are going to be our neighbors at some point. Uh, because when we're all trying to vie for a piece of, um, like, a loaf of bread or anything like that, when food is scarce... Um, toilet paper to okay that was ridiculous <laughs> of all things toilet paper but that's my point is that we saw human nature at the primal level of scarcity yeah and uh, so food prepping like uh, you know homesteading tactical preparation um, mindset a lot of that and also my fitness is part of uh, prepping like I feel being fit and healthy and able of a mind and body is important as part of the preparation for anything to be prepared. If, you know, we can't ruck a sack of 30, 40 pounds, how are you going to bug it out? You know what I mean? I went to a prepper camp once where people had these bug out bags that weighed 80, 90 pounds and like, dude, you can't even walk to the mailbox and back with 80, 90 pounds, let alone miles, trekking miles with that. And uh, that's another thing is I have a hunting pack, you know, I know how to, I know how to shoot my bow, I know how to fire a rifle and all that good stuff. And I know how my marksmanship is pretty good. And uh, so now it's just like getting out in the field more and just, uh, I really enjoy the process. It was really difficult at first though, because it was so new to me. But I think a lot of it's just mindset. It's just making up my mind to do those hard things, to come out of my comfort zone and do what I feel would be purposeful. It's not just for me, but like I really, I really enjoy helping others. I did it for so many years, teaching yoga. And now uh, being an EMT, uh, I'm looking to volunteer at the local fire station as an EMT. Um, and then just moving forward with that, I would like to go into wilderness EMT for sure, yeah. looking into that right now, and uh, we'll see where that goes. Yeah, I think those are kind of, uh, you know, things that are functional, right? Like yeah, all those functional, things. Yeah. And, I, and I think the difference between that, right, uh, and doomsday prepping is, uh, and for all the doomsday preppers out there, sorry, it is not a it's no, it's no, it's, it's no slam on you guys. Yeah, um, I just, I think... The difference between functional prepping is something that you can do even in like the lowest case incidents you know uh knowing how to uh stabilize somebody's spine uh is the difference between them being able to walk or not that or a blood stop like a tourniquet everyone should yeah. have a tourniquet in their car or be you know? able to make one yeah. like like a makeshift one yeah and and i think uh stabilizing the pelvic uh um hip uh, pelvic uh, bone and stuff like that. I think, um, especially in the things that we do, right? Like uh, if you rock climb, if you go hiking, like wilderness first aid is one of those things that I highly encourage anybody that's going out into the woods. But if they don't have wilderness uh, first aid, at least first aid, how to be able to do CPR or 
or something like that. Uh, I think it, it, there's a huge difference um, between functional uh, prepping versus doomsday prepping because doomsday prepping is it it takes it to like a high high level of like you need to have X amount of budget and you know what if the banks go down and all that stuff like uh, I think about those things. That, I think about isn't that like yeah. uh, just segue? Sorry to interrupt yeah. you, but um, off grid, yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I, I don't think in today's world, even if the grid was to go down, like the electrical grid and stuff like that uh, was to go down, I don't think uh, we'd hit that level. I think the only way that we'd hit that level is uh, by a natural disaster. Mm. Uh, so um, I think it's just one of those, um, those issues that uh, I have with doomsday prepping because uh, the likelihood of it happening are um, significantly much lower than uh, than uh, what functional prepping is. Um, but I don't know. Uh, we can talk more about like just homestead prepping, which is what my grandma did. So uh, I would like to segue in terms of prepping, functional prepping, our cars. When we had a bad snowstorm, our first bad snowstorm of the year, uh, people were stuck on I-95 interstate uh, oh. for several, several hours, several hours. And people ran out of gas, they ran out of food, they ran out of water, uh, you know, they had a lot of issues. And you, we never think about those things on a normal, everyday basis. So um, my car, my Jeep now has a supply, a backup supply of water. It has all kinds of snacks. Uh, I need to catalog all the expiration dates. Like I have nuts, um, you know, non-perishable snacks in there, uh, which obviously will go bad eventually. But I have that. I have a um, solar panel source in there. I have a wool blanket in case my heat does go out. I have... Um, you have a, a doggy bag? A what? A doggy bag. For a doggy like, bag? For your dog. Like, you have a dog and a cat, so I think... When, uh, if and when, I have a medical kit for um, pets specifically. Uh -huh. And uh, I have already in my car, in my Jeep, um, first aid kits and, and tourniquets. I have water. Do you have food and stuff for the dog? And no, I don't have, because I don't really... But I should. That's a good yeah. point, is to have I the have snacks for them, too. All. That's a good point. Thank you for bringing that up. I should have that in the car. Because if I'm bugging out, they're coming with. Yeah. <laughs> of course. They're a family. Yeah. I, I think that's... Uh, those those are things that everybody should have in their car, but they may not necessarily have. Like, And I'm not saying gas should be in your car. Like, Please don't keep gas in your car. Like, that is Well, not my gas is you. on the outside of the car. Yeah. Jerry can. <laughs> uh, there is a, a very big issue of like having gas inside your car because it deteriorates the cloth and stuff like that. Uh, the, the fume itself, like in a hot summer day, like can be very, uh, very bad for um, gear and other things like that. So don't do that. Um, well, even back last summer, do you remember the gas shortage? Oh, yeah. The pipeline. Uh, and so people were hoarding gas and people that didn't know any better were putting them in like plastic bags. Yeah, don't do that. And also, like, just flimsy containers putting gas in. This is what happens to our minds is that we, we get tunneled into this, like, scarcity mode where 
reason or rationale goes out the window. And not only that, but I think it goes back to a fundamental sense of awareness, situational awareness, self-preparedness that um, uh, I think was lacking on a ma- it's, it's lacking on a mass level. And that's another reason why we want to do these podcasts because we feel like, you know, maybe there's someone can learn something from this. Even if it's just one person that takes something from this, that's one more person than there was before. Yeah, uh, I think it's kind of, uh, oh man, Rizzo always finds the best places to do things. Honestly, you guys listening, thank you for your patience there. But if you're hearing gaps in space in our conversation, it's because Rizzo uh, has decided to- is the part of our podcast in his <laughs> own special way. <laughs> And just distracting us with um, doggy toys, ripping them up, and getting in front of the mic and all that. So it's it's actually really funny because before starting all this, he was just hanging out. Like he likes the energy, and dogs don't lie. You know, animals don't lie. He loves it here. Yeah. No, uh, I think um, there he is. <laughs> he wants to put his two cents into the podcast. I know, seriously. He, he definitely agrees with having dog food inside a car. I will do that today, in fact. Yeah. I, I think it's so interesting. Um, that was something that his trainer actually uh, made me do um, the first day that I was taking him home. Like, he's like, uh, she, she was, uh, she was like, make sure there's always a snack for him. Because even if you stay at a friend's house a little bit past their, mm-hmm. their time or whatever, or if you um, say I got stuck somewhere because I had car issues or mm-hmm. whatnot, like dogs don't understand that they, you know, why they're hungry. Mm-hmm. Like, why haven't I fed them? There? What are their food stores? Kind of like kids. Like, if you have a kid or something, like, definitely have some snacks for them. Like, like you That's true. Do. That's true. Like, the worst thing that you could have is uh, a crappy situation and be hangry. So uh, we make very bad decisions when our blood sugar is low. Yeah. When we're uncomfortable, and I think uh, that I'd love to segue into embracing more uncomfortable situations. Like, be comfortable with being uncomfortable. I know it's a, it's an old adage, if you will, but it's uh, it's very accurate. We have grown too comfortable, and I think that actually lends to the mass hysteria in in the concept of scarcity and like there isn't enough and when we don't have enough enough hospitals enough beds enough medicine all these other things we tend to make really poor decisions yeah uh, i would agree with that i think um uh kind of relating that back to the military right um one of the things that that you kind of learn is how to conserve the things that you need to keep you alive uh, one of the things I've learned through hiking and like exploring and camping is that you don't bring more than you need, but you bring enough that if uh, somebody else is there with you, you have enough to share. Oh, interesting. Um, so um, I think it's been interesting um, kind of hiking with my dog because uh, I now have to account his water intake, right? Versus just my water intake. Before it was just me. Now I have to take into account my water intake, his water intake, and then possibly if I find somebody that needs help in my path. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you don't want to give away what you don't have to loan, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, you may never get it back. That's something 
that I was taught very little. Like if you if you don't have five dollars to your name and then you get five dollars and then somebody asks you for five dollars for something, like don't just give it away. But like, what if the other person needs those five dollars? It's the same thing with water, like uh, food economics and like water economics when it comes to like preppiness. Like it's a huge, huge thing. I think water is probably the biggest one for me. What about you? It's interesting when we hit a place, let's just say on a societal level, where water becomes the commodity. I think water's already a commodity. Well, like California is a perfect example. It's water scarcity always. And uh, in in Vegas, it's very natural Mm -hmm. to have water, so they have to bring it in. So even Vegas, they're running out of uh, those resources because of the population growing. And so there is a, uh, um, I do believe that this world is overpopulated to support the natural resources that this earth can actually provide. So we're now, and that's why it's also getting more expensive and thereby um, people are more stressed to make a living on top of that. So everything exacerbates on top of one another. And so, you know, it is something to think about when we have to not only sustain ourselves but also try to help others and that that's something as part of prepping and my my prepping area right now is tactical arts so not it's not only to protect protect myself my tools um that can take lives right to put down a threat is to actually protect others you know i think about my nieces who are helpless. I think about people who may not be armed or don't know how to use, or like this might be something that could save someone innocent, you know, that needs help. If I need to defend in, in, in for their lives, I will do it. I will have no problems getting on the line and going downrange with that. I think that's, you know, military, uh, tactical, like weapon, training and stuff like that is I'm not against for or whatever you want to call it like guns I think uh, guns are guns you know just like any inanimate object Um, that doesn't mean like I'm for everybody owning one not because I I think uh, I'm like against the second amendment or anything like that but it's more of like um, everybody owning one doesn't necessarily make the society Safer. Uh, safer. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a misconception just because you own a weapon, you are making the society around you safer. No, you owning a weapon, if you're an idiot, might be making everybody uh, less safe than they right. were five seconds ago. Or it could be a threat. Yeah, you know, it, it could be a threat. threat. It could be a bad guy. Uh, that or a kid. Like, if you are in a house and you have kids under uh, the age of 18, I, I'm going to put it out there uh, because teenagers are stupid. Um, and they don't know proper handling of a weapon, It it's more of a liability. Uh, a lot of accidents in-house with weapons happen because a weapon was somewhere where it got into little hands and because it wasn't properly stored. And I think that's the, the key point of it, right? Like uh, proper storage, proper handling, even early education for children on how to put a gun in safe or not to touch it at all is, is key. Like... We can't ask a, a little boy not to touch a gun that looks like a gun if we give them a Nerf gun and don't teach them proper training with that Nerf gun, you know? 
on that note i agree with you like proper storage proper handling and education are key components i would have to not disagree but i would say with the right amount right environment just like your know, grandmother said hey this is an earthquake to desensitize a threat or even novelty of something it, it takes the uh, curiosity out of it so for example i went to a friend's home there was a you know a rifle behind the bedroom door and there's the the, the youngest kid there i think was either 10 or 12 but he grew up around um, firearms. He's been t he's he was uh, taken out hunting at a very young age. So to him, it's no different than the table fixture next to the gun, uh, and it was just laying out in plain sight. There are there were bows. There were, and then knives. You know, it's, it's no different because the novelty is not there. It's it's in the environment normally. So there's not like oh I need to sneak and get this. With that said, I'm not sure if it had ammo or not in it. I don't think we should be careless and say because we never know in a moment of, um, you know, where we're in our amygdala, the fight, flight, freeze, and what's yeah. the other one? No. Yeah. Like there's flight, one freeze, more. hide. Hide. So even adults can be idiots around guns, yeah. right? So I think it's, it is responsibility to store the weapon for sure. I don't necessary to say hey just leave your stuff lying around right but i don't have kids in my place so <laughs> no, it's not, yeah so anyway um well I, I think it's interesting like um i belong to a community right where uh we have ptsd and a bunch of other stuff like don't get me wrong like i own a gun like the the difference is the the way that we store things the va will give you uh, a gun lock like if you mm -hmm. have one mm -hmm. because when you are experiencing uh, post-traumatic stress uh trauma or whatever you want to call it, like, um, sometimes you just need a second to think. Mm -hmm. So the second of you finding that key and uh, unlocking your gun might be the difference between you killing yourself. And, I see. And I think that... So self-inflicted. Self-inflicted guns, uh, gunshots are very common in the community. Like, there's this movement of, uh, you know, uh, Mission 22. Um, and those are the kind of things that kind of relate back to, like, what is functional prepping, right? Because functional prepping doesn't necessarily just mean like having the training and stuff like that, but also it's having, mental. it's it's a very mental game, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, just prepping it can be a very mental game, so. So um, uh, to, to write off of that, when I shoot, I have a target in mind. So it's, to me, it's not just a paper target. I have a mindset when I am shooting. So it's like a one word thing and my intention is there behind it. So when I'm drilling, it's not even like, hey, I need to be as precise as possible. It's the energy behind it. Yeah. I, yeah. And, I, and I think that's, uh, you know, training is extremely important the way that you do it. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, today I, I went to, um, I started dog training again for Rizzo. Um, and it's kind of funny because uh, we started going in the fundamentals. Uh, there's continuing training that goes along with uh, having a service dog, uh, just so he's always proper. Um, but I think the most interesting part of it was like, these are things that I do every day, you know, with him, but I don't think about. Mm. I, I don't put an emphasis to it. Like, you get Starting a, your subconscious. Yeah. You, um, like, one of the first things that they teach you, like, when you're learning how to drive, for example, is check your mirrors, put on your seatbelt, like, you know, the, 
do, do you have a flat kind of thing like look at your surroundings of your car before you you do whatever you know uh and those are things that inherently are considered functional prepping, like you're prepping to drive a car. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not a lot of people think about it. So you add a cell phone, like we were talking about, like distractions and stuff like that. You add a cell phone to that. You get in the car, you may not notice somebody's behind you when you're pulling out if you weren't paying attention, if you were on your cell phone. So I think uh, just like detaching a little bit more from your cell phone and maybe seeing the world around you can be everyday kind of prepping. Yeah, we prep every day when we leave our home. Uh, I I have seen a growing number of people in fixated in that screen, the black mirrors it's called, and we're not paying attention. And I think it's 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 definitely something that we need to be conscious of. And I hope again, if this just affects one person that's listening to a podcast and we hope that's a ripple effect this one person is the start of that one pebble creates the first ripple Ooh, i like that yeah i just made that up (laughs) um i feel like this is good we're keeping it a little bit shorter today uh but thank you so much for sharing that oh you know what oh shit my bad i wanted to talk to you about rock climbing like oh yeah can you share we talked about this earlier over coffee now this is coffee plus after the coffee about that moment of freeze remember we're talking about that fight flight hide and freeze yeah and you had that moment of that yesterday yeah i share that yeah so um i started lead climbing again uh haven't done lead climbing hold on back up for a second what's lead climbing okay uh so lead climbing i guess the easiest way uh well i was doing sport climbing which is inherently things are already fixed on the wall it's pretty easy uh to just kind of take your rope and put it around the hardware that's on the wall to keep you safe um lead climbing you kind of add a little bit um, of intensity to it because you're starting with the rope at the bottom instead of at the top, which is what we call top rope. Um, And that is when somebody's still belaying you, but uh, belaying is a French word for somebody literally laying out the rope and making sure that they got you with the rope on the other side. Um, Lead climbing, same thing. You still have a belayer. That's the person that's catching you at the bottom. but you start with the rope at the bottom. So as I'm uh, ascending to the top, I'm clipping into things uh, called carabiners. <laughs> and I don't want to insult anyone's intelligence, uh, but these carabiners are attached to the wall. Um, one of the things that happens is that uh, there's a high chance of uh, injury in the first three clips that you do because you're so close to the ground that if uh, um, the person at the bottom is not necessarily paying attention or doesn't know what they're doing. Uh, there might be too much rope, which causes you to hit the deck or the floor. Um, or you might get twisted up in a way that is uh, very painful, or you might just really hurt yourself uh, in multiple other ways. Um, but uh, started climbing with uh, my climbing partner, who's great. Um, I love climbing with him. Uh, he's uh, my best friend's husband, who is now, he's become one of my best friends as well. Um, but he's learning how to uh, lead belay, which is um, the most important thing, I think, uh, besides uh, the person climbing. Uh, I think the most important person on that wall is the person in the bottom, because they're the ones that are telling you if you're doing it right or wrong. Uh, and 
I got tunneled vision. I was attached to another rope, which was uh, attached to the high point of the wall. So I was being belayed on the top rope. But we were practicing mock leading, which is fake leading. But he's still practicing that uh, that uh, bottom belay. Mm-hmm. How um, much slack, how, yeah. how close and how far away from the wall you need to be and all that stuff. Yeah, and feeding me ropes so I can clip on to the next uh, clip as I'm going up. And... Uh, for some reason, I was hearing the conversation below him not necessarily doing the best things, and I started to pull the rope, and there was not enough rope, and uh, I started to freeze. Like you know that moment of like, uh, just you don't know what's going on. Like all of a sudden you're aware you're very high off the ground. You're yeah. on a wall, and you're barely. Yeah, like yeah. your your heart starts beating mm-hmm. extra fast, mm-hmm. and like I literally. Don't know why, but I had flashbacks of so many people I know. Um, I had a flashback about Greg, uh, who a couple of years ago uh, fell off uh, a like ten foot ten foot drop uh, at Annapolis Rock, um, and he ended up in the ICU from that. He was repelling though. Yeah, he was mm-hmm. repelling. So it was just like a tiny fall, but like I'm up about fifteen feet, so that's. Still, yeah, and you're falling on rocks. Yeah. Uh, Very hard surface. And then I had uh, just flashbacks on people that have died uh, climbing <laughs> or scrambling. And I don't know. Um, we were talking about five flight freeze uh, high, uh, run, and I decided not to fight the wall or that urge. So I just let go, <laughs> um, which is... For me, uh, a very interesting uh, response. Yeah, it's a very interesting response because usually, uh, like, the instance should be I hang on to that wall like a freaking cat mm-hmm. and never let go. Um, the instance was I just let go. Uh, I just seemed like I didn't care. And, like, and I do care. Like, I, I do care about my life and stuff like that. But um, I did it again uh, for a second time, up much <laughs> no. up higher. Oh, Jesus. Uh, so I think. For me, it has gotten to the point where um, leak climbing is uh, more of a mental uh, stressor, uh, which I'm going to continue working through it in the next few weeks. I'm going to continue leak climbing and st- trusting like my belayer and stuff like that. But it's more of like uh, pushing out those negative thoughts as, uh, as I'm ascending or um, clipping on because uh, there's a sense of like... Uh, your mental psyche and your body kind of becoming one and uh, for some reason yesterday when I was climbing they felt miles apart mm. like um, uh, we talked about deassociation and stuff like that it's almost like that like that's kind of how it almost felt but I was present but I wasn't present I don't know if that makes sense like a hundred percent yeah when we have a, a moment where there's a detachment of a tether uh, that connection point where we were very slacked in, or like we had a very taut rope yeah. connection, all of a sudden it was like, it just unraveled very quickly. Yeah. And so um, it was like we were put together and then all of a sudden it unraveled and it was almost not by choice. It, not an accident, but it was sort of like a default. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's, I, I'm going to try working uh on just making sure that I'm present and I'm there and whatever thoughts I'm having that I just clear. Like one of the wonderful things about climbing is that you can completely focus on your climb. Mm -hmm. But 
if you're not completely focused on your climb, if your mind wanders, then you are at a very high chance of getting injured or coming off the wall. So one of the things that I heard about were like on the auto belay device, there's a big warning label on it says there are no headphones, right? No earbuds allowed if we're climbing alone. So a self, an auto belay is a self belaying system where we can climb without, without a partner. And, uh, what happened, I think were people that weren't paying attention. They were in the zone with the music or whatever they were listening to. Not, not only that, but they couldn't hear people down on the deck warning them, say, Hey, you're not clipped in or whatever the case is. So basically this person, uh, was free soloing, wasn't clipped in and uh, let go. just totally forgot he wasn't clipped in, let go. And he fell. What I forgot how far, maybe like 20 feet, 20, 30 feet, something like yeah. that. And got really injured. Um, and, uh, just things like that where, and one of the thing it's a tenet of mine is to never work out, uh, outdoors when, I'm, when my, my environment is very vast and there are places I can't see behind. I will never run or walk uh, with my earbuds in. I, it's a habit of mine that I pay attention to my surroundings outside. So that's um, just a tenet of mine. I think it's a good habit to adopt because I see people all the time. They're running with their earbuds and all that. And I get it. You want to be in the zone and they get run over. Uh, but not only that, but attacked. You hear about these women, they go for a pre-dawn run. They're plugged in, they're not paying attention, they're young and whatever, yeah. and then get assaulted, raped, and killed, right? So, Again, we're not victim-blaming. No, it's, it's not even that. It's like, hey, this is self-awareness and situational awareness, and I'm not justifying any of that to be right. I'm just saying some of this can be prevented. This goes all the way back to our earlier conversation about prepping. Some of these things can be prevented, uh, so if the weather outside is cold, what do we do to not freeze our asses off? We dress appropriately, right? We, be, we create an awareness like, hey, maybe check the weather before going outside or anything like that. It's just taking some initiative to ensure the best possible outcome. That's all. It doesn't prevent anything. doesn't um, guarantee anything either. What it does is it gives us a little bit more leverage. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of, uh, I think climbing, right, like mm. has uh, really, really hones in on that. I, I guess for me, I don't know if for you it's the same thing, like, you know, you check your harness, you check every the, time, you every check time the we person. check the knots every time. And and that's the thing, like, it becomes no matter almost, how experienced, it doesn't become, uh, it becomes second nature. So you don't think about it too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you're teaching someone new, right you have to think about it all. You, you have to say it all you have to say it all you have to think about it and then like for example uh, the instructor that we had because uh, we're taking a class like I, I promised my climbing partner we'd take this class together and stuff like that um but even our our instructor is remembering things as like we're getting on the wall and he's like oh yeah wait a minute guys remember this is something that you do and it's not because he doesn't have the training or anything like that or that he doesn't go on schedule it's because there's an adrenaline that goes into it when he, you're watching five new people do a skill that could potentially kill them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think that's, uh, that's kind of one of those really interesting things. Like you think about skateboarding, uh, snowboarding, stuff like that that don't seem like high risk but can be entirely high risk. Biking, 
Like while walking or yeah. even slipping in the bathroom, that's a high risk area for yeah. people to get injured inside the home. So it, I think it's it's uh, prepping is functional prepping is something that we just do all the time that you don't necessarily remember. I think pro- functional prepping and situational awareness are almost synonymous. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. Mm-hmm. So. All right, guys. Well, we hope that this has inspired you to look into some functional prepping, situational awareness, and just really honor our elders who are badasses. (laughs) Really, uh, I grew up in a culture where our elders were the masters of the household. They were highly respected and revered, and they just had chock full of stories that, you know, it's it's the best campfire stories. Well, yeah, and it's the... It wasn't everything you couldn't put on your cart and then have it two days later, right? Like, they actually had to do stuff. <laughs> uh, that's so admirable. And, uh, you know, that's that's the next chapter, guys, at least for me, right? Yeah. All right. Thank you all for tuning in. This is Coffee Plus, and today we have Pat here. I'm Virginia. And where can people find you, Pat? Uh, people can find me online at gpat17 at Instagram. Okay, cool. Um, you can just go with my my OG Instagram. I have like three Instagram accounts. But personally, I'm at jade underscore river. That's with two Vs. And uh, if you want to hook up some candles, some sexy time, sultry time, central time candles, that's bougieboondock.com. Also, Instagram handle. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Uh, We are on Spotify, bitches. Oh, my God. Anyway, (laughs) that's kind of a big deal. I need to kind of fix that logo, but that's another story that didn't need to actually share. We are on Spotify. It's Coffee Plus. And thank you all for tuning in. And until next time, peace. Peace.